Hello, I'm Victoria Austin and you're listening to Shadow Talk, the weekly threat intelligence podcast that covers the latest stories impacting the industry. We are live from our virtual podcast studio today. Sounds quite fancy when I say that, but joining me to discuss the latest highlights, we have Jamie Collier and Adam Cook. So a virtual hello. Yes, yes. Hello. Hey, Vic. <laughs> hey, guys. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to realise that my life is kind of centred around a screen slash a laptop. So this laptop is slowly becoming one of my best friends. But maybe that's just a bit sad for me to say at this stage. And it wasn't before. Your life wasn't <laughs> centred around a screen beforehand, yeah? Yeah, true. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I guess one of the things that is allowing us to keep in touch with everyone at the moment is like a, a lot of platforms. And I think one of those platforms in particular that's been thrown into the spotlight this week is Zoom. So that's the online uh, communications platform that allows for video calls, um, even allows us to do quizzes online with friends. It also hosts business meetings. So yeah, this week that was kind of, um, there was a story around that and a security researcher with a background in the NSA, Patrick Wardle, under, un, uh, sorry, uncovered a security and privacy flaws that affected Zoom. So Jamie, I thought you could kind of just provide an overview about what happened with this uh, like security flaw here. Yeah, sure thing, Vic. And you're certainly right that Zoom's been in the news. I think, you know, not a day goes by without uh, there being a Zoom story, whether that's about their privacy or security. It's certainly been an interesting week for them. Um, So, yeah, as you say, two uh, at the time, zero day vulnerabilities were published um, that would give uh, local unprivileged threat actors, you know, a root privilege um, and, you know, could enable a threat actor to say, say, enable the webcam on a uh, target device. Having said that, what I would say about this is it, it did require a local foothold. So, you know, you would need to have uh, already got access um, to a device in, in order to be able to uh, exploit uh, these vulnerabilities. Um, but yes, you know, certainly kind of quite serious. Um, and it was you know, encouraging to see that Zoom uh, were you know, really out of the blocks in trying to patch this one. Um, yeah, so I guess this is the thing. So the security researcher, he published a blog around the vulnerability and get, went into a lot of technical detail, which was really good. And one of the things that he recommended, of course, when he wrote this blog is that if you really care about your privacy, you should not use Zoom, um, which is quite a big statement, of course. But um, I guess he's just saying, like, he's just pointing out that the severity of this uh, vulnerability here. So um yeah i just i didn't know if people agreed like i guess the point here is like he's saying don't use your your zoom because of this but since then there's obviously been a patch um so yeah i guess would people actually stop using it when they see this this alert come through i mean i think one thing that's uh, really important is that um the information security community doesn't go completely against the tide right so i think everyone's going to be using zoom uh, they just released uh, some stats that they had uh, a maximum of 10 million active users uh, per month in December 2019. That's kind of ballooned up to 200 million in March. So I think I think there's so many people using it, so many people need to work from home. Um, and I think it's really, uh, you know, the InfoSec's job to kind of work with that trend and, and try and kind of embrace it to an extent, make sure that even if, uh, you know, organisations and individuals are moving uh, two new apps, uh, you know, the question then becomes how can we best secure them? 
I was about to say the same thing as well. Like that's his job as a security researcher, right? And and Jamie said that really well there. This is this also isn't the first time that Zoom has had issues. I think um, we have we're maybe inclined to think that this is slightly more of a bigger deal because of what's going on contextually. Like there's a lot more people using Zoom at the minute. I think I read somewhere today that they had. 600,000 users download it on, on one day in March, I think shortly after the government announced that, you know, if people needed to work from home, if they could. Um, we've spoken about Zoom zero days on the podcast before. I think in the summer last year, we were talking about similar webcam hijacking vulnerabilities. Uh, there was also a story about how the iOS app, the Zoom iOS app was sending data to Facebook without user permissions as well. So this isn't the first time that they've had uh, vulnerabilities. And I think, you know, Jamie said it quite well there. This isn't, uh, this isn't a call to stop using it completely, especially when people need uh, software like this to crack on with their, with their jobs. Yeah, I think just going back to your point about how many people are going to be using this technology, I read that as well, kind of just build on that point, like one third of the world's population are currently in lockdown. So you know, people won't stop using the technology. They'll obviously continue to use it. But yeah, it's the point here that we just need to be using it safely. Um, but also going back to your point, Adam and Jamie, about um, Zoom, this is not the first for Zoom, I guess. Like we need to kind of separ separate sensationalism against like the facts. And obviously this is not an excuse that this has happened, but it's definitely important to kind of break it down and I think one of the things that probably might be causing Zoom to be in the spotlight at the moment is because it could be, I mean, one theory could be that it's trying to uh, steer away from the fact that our newsfeed is just heavily focused on what's happening with the pandemic. You know, they're, maybe they're trying to find news stories and that could be one argument, I guess. But yeah, I think, as you said, like this is um, maybe another day for Zoom, another week. But I mean, I think, I think it's a real balancing act because there are some legitimate questions to ask, both on the privacy side of Zoom and the security, you know, whether that's uh, vulnerabilities that we're seeing now. Also, with the increase of remote work, uh, this is a platform that, you know, threat actors are very likely going to increase their targeting, you know, increase their interest in. So I think, I think there are some kind of, you know, legitimate concerns there. But I think, I think there's just a few things to kind of consider. I think the first is that Zoom is typically integrated into an enterprise and all their existing security control so in many ways you know that 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 should kind of be no or zoom should be no different there in terms of applying those kind of quite standard security controls security reviews etc um and and i think critically it's about risk management it's about looking at your threat model how how might threat actors that are going to target your organization how might they uh, target zoom um capitalize on uh, the pandemic and increase in remote work so i think i think that's one thing is just being realistic uh, we're seeing a lot of different kind of question marks over Zoom, not all of which are going to be of equal concern to each uh, organization. And I think the other thing is, of course, you know, we should be asking those questions, but, you know, Zoom is also doing a lot of action, releasing fixes quite quickly. Um, I think they've probably been a bit overwhelmed with just how quickly uh, that it's grown in popularity. So, you know, you've got to kind of balance those two things. Yeah, I actually, so uh, Zoom published a blog as well in response to, to this. And one of the um, statements they released said, over the next 90 days, we are committed to de dedicating the resources needed to better identify, address and fix issues proactively. And of course, like these platforms, as we touched on, they're going to see massive growth in the space of a very short time. 
and Zoom's not going to be alone in this. Like they are going through something that's a completely new experience. It's not going to be, they're not going to do it right the first time. And of course that's not no excuse, but we as users have to be probably a bit more patient. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to see that Zoom is being proactive here and, and recognizing that it, it has um, to fix things moving forward. So yeah. It hasn't been the best couple of weeks for them though. Uh, last week, the Intel team here at DS uh, was the focus of our intelligence summary for last week was on a different uh, Zoom floor or you know, another, another story where, where Zoom was the focus whereby um, people were reporting something that they, a term they were calling Zoom bombing whereby threat actors were gaining access to Zoom meetings uh, kind of behaving in your typical online troll fashion, crashing calls, uh, sharing graphic content and abusive messages. Uh, so I think this is something to do with flaws in Zoom's default settings. Um, and it kind of ties into uh, an accumulation of, of different flaws and different stories that we're talking about. So it hasn't been the best uh, couple of weeks for the platform itself, I'd say. No, no. On top of that, so people who have been using Zoom, there's been quite a lot of attention drawn to, um, I guess, governments across the world who've been using it. So, for example, in the UK, um, one case was that our cabinet were seen to be using Zoom and we could see all of their profiles in a pitch that was released online. Um, what I thought, of course, like this is really bad that we could, I mean, I, I don't know, there's been, there's different angles to this. Like we know that they've used Zoom, so that OPSEC angle, like, okay, we know what platform they're using. But then the other side was that um, you could see all the usernames, which again is probably an issue there. But um, I saw that the prime minister had named himself as the PM, which I thought was quite a boss name for, for Zoom, so. I didn't, I didn't see that actually, uh, that, that's, that's funny. But yeah. that's, you know, uh, you know, on a serious note, that's, that's half the battle, right? You know, you've got the username, that's, that's 50% of the credential that you need to, to access the account. Uh, and I think I did read somewhere that they have, um, there have been reports on kind of bots being created that are specifically programmed to kind of create Zoom IDs. Uh, so, you know, guessing, guessing the Zoom ID through a specific computer program is one half of the battle uh, and then you know giving away usernames is another side to that as well in terms of letting giving threat actors access to specific meetings um or calls you know that might be potentially sensitive for certain organizations yeah and also so this is a thing like it goes back to the point about sensationalism like these po these images of, of say our government even like the bbc we know that they're using zoom they've been posted online and of course they get like a lot of chat around oh is this like is this secure like is this a good way like we, do we know this is a safe way to communicate just because we've seen a photo but in response to that that the ministry of De defense in particular referencing the cabinet meeting zoom they actually said that there's nothing to kind of um uh they had kind of given the permission that they could use zoom as long as it's uh non-classified cabinet meetings that are taking place over the um, Zoom software. So yeah, like a lot of us will be communicating. It's just what is actually being spoken about on these technologies is, is another part of that as well. Cool. Yeah, and I think, I think for the most part as well, large majority of users probably don't have much to worry about if they're just doing like their daily stand-up calls or they're just getting together for a bit of FaceTime with their colleagues. And I think this zero day that, you know, that we led with and that we've been talking about 
represents or you know if used in an attack would represent you know very highly targeted compromise in that as jamie said it has to be has to be a local foothold foothold already so you know there needs to be a threat actor present on the on the device or you know malware already delivered and installed so yeah it does represent quite highly targeted attacks if this zero day was to be used I think another thing just to you know cap off some of the, what we've been talking about is not all of this vulnerability and security concern is around the app and the security of the app itself right so we've talked about OPSEC that's something that we can kind of teach employees not to share these uh, screenshots of their you know zoom IDs um, you know we'll likely see more phishing emails trying to uh, get people's zoom login credentials right so that's something that again it's not affecting the zoom platform itself but you know we can kind of start to educate employees about the fact that you know don't give out your zoom credentials unless you're really sure it's a legitimate uh, app for example so i think there's a lot around the kind of zoom ecosystem uh, that isn't to do with the actual app itself that you know need to kind of be up to speed on all of that as well um so yeah jamie you just spoke about um educating users on general opsec which follows on quite nicely into our next story because this is something that we couldn't well this is something that's not typically uh, taught to employees so this story relates to the criminal group Fin7, who've been identified as delivering malware via USB sticks. So yeah, this is quite, this is a first for the um, Shadow Talk podcast for me anyway. But yeah, Jamie, I thought you could just provide an overview of what is the latest with Fin7. Yeah, sure thing. So this was a really interesting campaign, actually. Um, so Fin7, uh, you know, sent these packages in the post, uh, which is, you know, uh, something quite unusual considering most threat actors are kind of sending phishing emails or whatever. Um, but the, these packages had various uh, parts of them. They might have letters. They had, uh, in some times, they had even used uh, teddy bears in these packages. Um, but they all contained these USB sticks. Um, and Fin7 tried to effectively socially engineer uh, the targets into, you know, entering these USB devices in, into their uh, laptops or computers. So, for example, one of them had uh, Best Buy branding. And it said, you know, you've been a loyal customer. So um, if you, you know, you can have a 50, here's a $50 gift card. You can choose anything that you want on this USB uh, drive. Just, you know, put it in your laptop. So some, you know, quite effective social engineering there and enticing people into using these USB uh, drives. But the, um, the USB drivers themselves, they emulated a keyboard uh, that when entered into a device would then launch a PowerShell command and retrieve um, a, a, the malware variant known as Griffin that Fin7 previously used so you know the, this kind of technique of uh, using usbs is quite unusual uh, clearly requires quite a lot of kind of operational logistical challenges in terms of you know using a postal service and you know uh, sending things directly to individuals uh, but a really interesting thing and you know something we haven't seen uh, too much of in the last couple of years so obviously very uh, popular with red teamers and penetration testers who might drop uh, usb sticks uh, outside an office that they're working with but uh, less you know less common that we see it with actual threat actors yeah i think so two weeks ago we spoke about a another case that we thought was quite unusual and that was related to the physical data loss of these of these hard drives and this one i just thought again i we should probably bring up the story around fin7 um there's quite a lot of links here like yeah as we have touched on like this is an un unusual delivery method so yeah i guess just going back to Fin7's tactics overall? Is this sort of in line with their activity in the past? 
Well, I think no, in the sense that they've traditionally, you know, used phishing, um, and we haven't kind of seen them do too much of this kind of USB uh, stick kind of attacks before. But what I would say is, I think you know, we, we talked about the the operational resources required to you know send things out and kind of coordinate all of that via you know international post, all of, all of that sort of thing. Maybe using a mule to post things out of the US. I think in that regard, this is quite uh, in line with uh, Fin7, who've kind of previously shown that they really do have that operational capability. So in the past, they've created fake companies that hired translators and penetration testers who you know, might not have even realized they were working for a criminal group, such was the, you know, the operational discipline and the, the perceived legitimacy of that fake company. So I think in that sense, you know, we're looking at quite a sophisticated threat actor, um, and it just shows that, you know, sophistic, uh, or just shows a group sophistication isn't just a case of what kind of zero days or malware or experts they're using. It's also, it's also about that broader organizational resource as well. Haven't they, uh, haven't they hand signed the letters as well? I think that's like what stood out for me. They, they, there was an image on, on the report with a hand signed letter, right? So for me, that's just a bit more of a tangible threat on display. You know, if, if whoever uh, the individual or the group of individuals uh, that are responsible for this, there's a, you know, there's a physical action there by signing the letters that they are then posting out. Um, uh, you know, with these with these USB sticks, so I can't. It does link nicely into what we're saying. Traditionally, we'd think of this as a more digital threat that wasn't as tangible uh, to to the average user. And like Jamie says, you know, Fin7 are, are you know a capable capable group, capable of conducting you know uh, large scale online uh, phishing campaigns. And yeah, I think I think for me it was that it was that image of the letter that had been signed by you know a real person. That kind of made it tangible for me yeah and i'm just i'm just thinking like as the receiver of this letter like if i've been if i've been sent a bit of mail like that is more personal and like i don't ever really get sent mail so if something was sent to me i'd be like oh i'm definitely going to open that like you're just naturally quite curious so it's almost like a bit behavioral i don't know like to that like extent i think it's it's sophisticated it's quite clever um, I guess another point there to make is, you know, in going back to the digital angle, like we always think in cyber is like looking at the indicators, whereas now we're looking at like probably DNA prints on a on a piece of paper for the signing. So it's just a completely different like way to think about this, which is again unusual. So you you might be excited as well in you know if everyone's at home, right? You know, you might be and and as someone that doesn't get very much post through these through your letterbox. Um, you know, they 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 might be playing on on that factor as well. You know, we're talking a lot about the stuff that we've been discussing contextually uh, with everyone working from home, uh, and you know, and the kind of the outbreak ongoing. I wonder, maybe, would people be slightly more inclined to be like, oh, you know, what a nice thing to do in 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 these tough times to send me a USB and thanking me for being you know, such a, a loyal customer, I'm going to plug this USB into, into my laptop and see what happens. So I think there's definitely that angle there uh, to, to think about as well. Because like you say, I'm, I'm the same as you. I didn't get sent. I, I, I have all my stuff come through email and online nowadays. I get a very rarely get sent stuff, you know, hard copy. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. So yeah, at the beginning of this um, story, I kind of touched on the kind of educating users. And as we've kind of broadly said this is quite a, um, an unusual case so what would kind of be the advice here 
Well, I think it's a bit of a balancing act because I think what we've said is certainly true that, you know, we don't really think about this as an attack vector. Uh, and that means that we don't typically integrate it into, you know, security awareness campaigns. If we're onboarding employees, we might not typically talk about, um, you know, the threat model of uh, USBs being sent to you in the mail. So in, in some sense, you know, this is a concern and, you know, it's something that could potentially go under the radar. Um, and I think in that regard, we should always remember that uh, security controls can also inc include physical aspects. Um, so, you know, to mitigate a kind of a USB attack like this, you know, organizations can do a lot to lock USB ports down, uh, install endpoint software to monitor, prevent threats emanating from, you know, unknown and untrusted USB devices. So there's plenty we can do there. I think at the same time, um, this shouldn't be on the top of anyone's list in terms of security threats. We don't see this too often. It does require quite a lot of additional resource. Um, a lot of threat actors will still favor, you know, remote or uh, online distribution methods because not only are they easier, but they're potentially less traceable, uh, you know, from kind of law enforcement perspective. So I think it's just that balance about, you know, looking at those physical attack vectors and, you know, the, the security controls we can implement. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we don't need to hit the panic button on USB uh, attacks anytime soon. That's all the stories we have for this week. If you're kind of looking to get stuck into some other things, we have just released a blog around digital risk remediation. And when I say we, it was actually published by myself. So um, I definitely recommend reading that. You can go to uh, digitalshadows.com to find that in our resources center. And then following on from that blog, we also have a webinar. So that's next week if you'd like to register. Then on top of that, we've got more content. We've got the weekly Insum, which you can also um, sign up to if you're not already signed up to, which is on our website. So yeah, lots of really good uh, things to kind of read into. So yeah, um, Jamie and Adam, thank you so much for uh, coming on to my virtual podcast recording studio. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Victoria. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. You too, guys. Bye.